Huckabee is brought to you in part by Trivita.com, helping you experience greater wellness. Tonight on Huckabee, Larry Kudlow points the way back for America's economy. Governor, we are not going to spend our way out of this. Ivan Purcell shows how to juggle objects and the quarantine. Governor, I got something specifically <laughs> for you today. You are going to love this. And music artist Sarah Evans joins us. That's Trey Corley at the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee. Welcome to our show from this week. And by the way, this is the last time we're going to do everything completely by remote. I'll be back in the theater next week. Oh, we'll be socially distancing and all that stuff. But boy, am I ready to get back to the theater. Audience will be a while, but we're looking forward to even that returning hopefully soon. Well, most of the media is focused on various aspects of the continuing saga of the Wuhan coronavirus. But I think they intentionally tried to ignore the biggest political story of the year and in my lifetime. With the release of long sought after federal documents related to the Russia collusion story, we now know with certainty what many of us have long suspected. At the highest levels of government, not only the FBI director, the CIA director, the attorney general, the national security advisor, but the vice president, the chief of staff of the president, and most likely President Obama himself, there was a concentrated, coordinated attempt to prevent the election of Donald Trump. And after his election, and even after his swearing in, they staged what amounted to a coup d'etat against the elected president of the United States. It turns out it wasn't the Russians we needed to be worried about so much meddling in our elections. It was the highest ranking law enforcement and intelligence officials in our land. Not foot soldiers carried away with sophomoric ambition, but it was those placed in leadership positions of authority who directed the full power of the United States against their president. And frankly, to strip you, the voter, of the integrity of your vote and to destroy the entire electoral system. Let me say, I don't say these things lightly. We now know that the decision to expose and frame decorated Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, a 33-year veteran of combat, was genuinely known by Vice President Biden, CIA Director John Brennan, Director of National Intelligence James Clapper, FBI Director James Comey, and numerous others who knew that the clandestine efforts to entrap Flynn and destroy Donald Trump were more than unethical, but flagrantly illegal. It was current Director of National Intelligence Rick Grinnell who did what he or somebody should have done three years ago, declassified the documents and made them public. And on the very day they were released, Joe Biden denied knowing about them in an interview on Good Morning America. But when he was pressed, he pretended he just didn't understand the question, then admitted that he did in fact know about the efforts to unmask General Flynn. Now granted, given Joe Biden's penchant for speaking in a way that sounds like chopped word salad, maybe he didn't understand the question, but he sure did as vice president. Here's what we can now say with certainty. James Clapper, John Brennan, James Comey, and others lied to Congress under oath. 
Congressman Adam Schiff of California, who said repeatedly that he had 100% solid evidence that President Trump colluded with Russia, was 100% lying about it. How do we know? Because not even during the $35 million Mueller witch hunt was a shred of such evidence found. <laughs> to be sure, if Schiff had such, he would have produced it to the media that he adores so much, or at least he would have brought it up during the sham impeachment process. But he never did, because he never had any evidence. Equally disgusting is that the media played right along and they never demanded to see his evidence. They just repeated his outrageous lies and they ignored the truth when it slapped them square in the face. Your country has been turned upside down by being shut down over a deadly virus, but we can recover from a disease with discoveries of vaccines and cures. What we can't recover from is having dirty, rotten scoundrels elevated to the highest levels of our government, placed in positions of trust who then use your tax money to stage an attempted coup, and then to put forth a full-scale cover-up by a calculated and cynical campaign of lies, misinformation, and destruction of the lives of patriots, not to mention showing utter contempt for the Constitution. I think the taxpayers ought to maybe fund one more get-together of those who did this, a reunion of sorts. Let's gather them at Getmo and give them years to reflect on their betrayal of trust and treason to their country. Yes, those are strong words, but I choose them deliberately. The damage to our great republic is severe, and those who did it should be held accountable. And it needs to happen now. My first guest tonight says he sees glimmers of hope in this coronavirus battered economy. He's had a long career in the world of finance. He served two presidents as an economic advisor and was a top-rated host on CNBC. He's now director of the United States National Economic Council in the White House, and he joins us from the White House. Larry Kudlow, welcome back. Great to have you here. Thanks, Governor. Appreciate it. Larry, there's 36 million people unemployed in America because of the shutdown of uh, basically our entire economy. Depression-level numbers. What's going to get the economy back on track, and, and how soon? You know, this is completely different from the, the Great Depression, where enormous economic policy mistakes were made, which uh, put the economy down, interest rates and taxes and things, tariffs and so forth. This, of course, is a function of the uh, COVID-19 virus and the mitigation attempts. We did have a national shutdown. And of course, the economy is unfortunately heading into a deep pandemic contraction. We're there. There's heartbreak in these numbers, hardship in these numbers. And we're going to go on for a wee bit, but some small glimmers of hope. First of all, the virus numbers are flattening, and that is giving the states a terrific opportunity to reopen. And we're seeing that all over the country. And I think a lot more is coming. And May is a transition, Mike, and, and June probably will complete the transition. Once the economy gets open, a lot of people are going to go back to work. Uh, but most of all, we're going to see a rebound in the second half of this year. Congressional Budget Office is showing that. A lot of private forecasters, we believe that. We want a big bang 2021. 
So I want to go from 20% growth in the second half of this year to the strongest growth 2021 in American history. And to do that, we need good incentive-oriented policies on taxes and regulations. Governor, we cannot just spend our way willy-nilly out of this. Larry, I, I shudder to think where we would be if we had not had such a strong economy before this hit us, uh, largely due to the president's focus on cutting taxes and most significantly cutting regulation for businesses so they can breathe and function. We're, we're told by the health experts we could have a second wave of the virus. You have said that if we do, we won't have to shut the economy down next time. Why wouldn't we? The president's policies of tax and regulatory reduction and fair trade and energy independence, you know, did set up a tremendous economy for three years plus. I mean, actually, the first two months of, uh, of, of 2020, before the pandemic hit, we were growing at better than 3% at an annual rate. So that's point number one. Now, regarding uh, the virus, if, if there's a, somehow a, a bounce up in the virus, I mean, I've talked to people informally, I'm a member of the task force and so forth. Uh, they believe that we have much better tools now, uh, including you know, testing and diagnostic and contact trading and contact uh, tracing and ventilators and all manner of PPE-related equipment. That's going to be a big help. And secondly, we just have more experience. I mean, so there might be targeted areas rather than a national shutdown. Is the president considering a payroll tax holiday? Because it would be such a very uh, efficient way to get money into people's pockets who are workers, and it would be administration-free, basically. Uh, that versus uh, Nancy Pelosi's idea of cranking up another $3 trillion and figuring out a way to dish it out as the way the government wants it to be uh, yes, dished out. Yes, the answer is yes on all points, by the way. The president has been pushing a payroll tax holiday uh, for the workers. We put one in, in so-called phase three for businesses uh, to the end of the year, and it's a deferral, so they would pay back uh, over a period of years. Uh, President Trump wants one to go in for the workers. It would give, in effect, workers, um, employees, about 7.6% increase in after-tax income, what Ronald Reagan used to call take-home pay. That's a lot better than spending $3 trillion, isn't it? I mean, we just spent $3 trillion. We'd like to wait a couple of weeks to yeah. make sure we know the results of the $3 trillion. Now to come back right away willy-nilly and throw another $3 trillion. I mean, Governor, we are not going to spend our way out of this. We have to revive that great economic machine. One final quick question. Uh, we only have a few seconds, but the travel and hospitality industries, are they going to need some type of federal assistance because they've been decimated uh, by what's happened over the past couple of months? Uh, they have been decimated. We are looking at them. We're in very close touch with their leaders, and we're looking at major tax deductions or tax credits to help them get off the ground as we reopen the economy. So, yes, they're high on our list of priorities. Larry Kudlow, thank you for joining us. Larry Kudlow, the director of the United States National Economic Council. And if you'd like more of my analysis of the news, watch Facts of the Matter after the show on Huckabee.tv. We're talking about unmasking cowards that set up General Michael Flynn and why, no matter how hard she tries, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer just doesn't get our Constitution.
We'll see you at Huckabee.tv for Facts of the Matter. Right now, here's Keith Bilbrey to tell us what's coming up next in the show. What a show we have tonight. Coming up, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. It's probably the first time that a person has been jailed for voluntarily cutting somebody's hair. Then comedic juggler Ivan Cassell. You are going to love this. And rock star turned humanitarian Mark Stewart. Amongst what some people would say the least of these, I found my most significant connection to Jesus. And country music singer Sarah Evans joins us. Lots more Huckabee is on the way. Next week, Nick Adams on Trump, Churchill and the battle for Western civilization, and country artist Jimmy Fortune honors our fallen soldiers. Thanks to Trey Corley and the Music City Connection, bringing us back in with a good old tune from Huey Lewis and the News, Hip to be Square. Now, many states and cities are still under shelter-in-place orders, but some other states are cautiously starting to reopen for business. Last week, a Dallas beauty salon owner, Shelly Luther, was arrested and actually placed in jail for opening her salon before shutdown orders were fully lifted. Luther's case sparked outrage, not just across America, but also from the state's top law enforcement official. He called her arrest a misguided abuse of power. Would you please welcome to our show, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. Ken, this case with, uh, with Shelley was just stunning that she actually went to jail, even as Dallas County, they were letting people out of jail for fear of the virus. How outraged were you and others about this? I think we were all shocked. Living in a country which has been free for hundreds of years, it's probably the first time that a person has been jailed for voluntarily cutting somebody's hair. So, I mean, I was stunned. And it certainly felt like the judge acted more out of emotion and, and not getting the right apology than he did acting out of doing the right thing for the situation at hand. I know that uh, you, as well as the governor, the lieutenant governor, basically every statewide elected official in Texas uh, weighed in on this. But as the attorney general, you certainly had uh, a level of authority that few had. Was there any justification for putting her in jail? I mean, was that even a, uh, a legal prescription that the judge could have employed? So the, the initial violation had a, either a civil fine or also potentially jail time. And that was created through an executive order at the executive level by Governor Abbott. However, the judge was pursuing something different. He, he held her in contempt because he did not like her answers and didn't like her apology. And so he actually used contempt to, to put her in jail. Unfortunately, the next day, Governor Abbott removed any type of uh, criminal penalty or any kind of penalty where you end up in jail. And so that has been removed from any possible uh, uh, punishment. So I, I'm really grateful that we're, we're in a better situation now. Ken, you sent a letter to uh, three counties, two cities this week, Dallas and San Antonio, and you said, and I'm quoting here, unfortunately, a few Texas counties and cities seem to have confused recommendations with requirements and have grossly exceeded state law to impose their own will on private citizens and businesses. 
I, I mean, obviously you were reacting to uh, some of these cities and counties. Uh, what penalties could the cities and counties face if they overreach against their own citizens? Look, we were trying to make it clear because people were so confused by the executive order that, that Abbott had and then having these county judges issue more stringent restrictions. And so our job, we advise now under the Emergency Act, we advise both the governor and the counties and cities. And so we wanted to make it clear to these county judges, look, you, you can follow the governor's order, but you cannot supersede it or uh, put in more stringent restrictions. And so our goal was to send a message to them, hey, you got to follow these orders. If you don't, we can come in and there's there's potential for enjoining them. And there's also potential for uh, penalties of up to $2,000 per violation. I had some uh, interesting things out of California this week with uh, Tesla CEO Elon Musk saying that he was just sick of California. was going to open his plan anyway. I understand you welcomed him to come to Texas this week. Have you heard from him? And is is there more and more businesses from places like California looking for the business-friendly environment that you've got in Texas? Well, I like how you said it's in, uh, something interesting came out of California. That's a nice way to put it. Um, there's always interesting things coming out of California. Yeah, we welcome them. The governor, I think, spoken to, to, to Mr. Musk, and we have been uh, enticing companies from California for years to come to our state. We have low taxes. We have less regulation. We have a much more friendly court system that's fair. And so, hey, we're hoping he'll, he'll, he'll join us in Texas. We think he'll prosper. Final question real quick, uh, mail-in balloting. Uh, I know you've expressed publicly some concerns about it and how it would work. Uh, what, what are the anxieties you have about using the mail for people voting? So my job is merely to follow the law. And the Texas legislature, as you understand, as a former governor, set the rules up for how mail-in ballots work. And what they said is, if you're over 65, uh, you're gonna be out of town or you have a physical disability, or you're in prison, but you're not a felon, you can vote by mail. They didn't provide for other reasons. And so that we have a judge in Travis County that has ruled, and, and we have a court of appeals that has agreed that that's not right, that the, the mail-in ballots can be sent to anybody because if they have a fear of contracting this virus and presumably any other disease. And so that isn't what the legislature said, but that's what a, a local judge said. And so we just, we're appealing that to the, we've already appealed that to the um, Texas Supreme Court. We're hopeful for a good outcome. I, I expect that we will get that reversed. Ken Paxson, great to have you. Always a pleasure to visit with you and uh, we appreciate you joining us on the show. Uh, all the best in Texas as you continue to uh, show legal leadership to the great state of Texas. Thanks, sir. Have a great day. Keith Bilbrey is gonna tell you how to keep up with the Texas Attorney General. So Keith, why don't you do it? Well, you can follow the Attorney General on Twitter at Ken Paxton TX and read more about his office's work at TexasAttorneyGeneral.gov. Next, juggling comedian Ivan Purcell, then rock singer turned advocate for orphans, Mark Stewart, and country music star Sarah Evans are on Huckabee. As Samaritan's Purse finishes their work in New York and Italy, they continue to bring life-giving help to families around the world as COVID-19 lockdowns leave people without work and needed daily supplies for their lives. Won't you please help them serve the hurting in faraway places like Iraq, Colombia, and Southeast Asia? All it takes is a single phone call to Samaritan's Purse. 
or you can make a quick visit to their website. Just as Jesus served many with a little that was blessed by God, so your gift of any amount can work wonders in His hands to heal the broken of our world. Please give so that others may live. Well, my next guest gives new meaning to the term playing with fire. He's performed on America's Got Talent, The Tonight Show, as well as major corporate events, as well as under the bright lights of Las Vegas. Here's a little sample of the amazing award-winning juggling and comedy of Ivan Purcell. All right, Nicole. Wow, I love this. Looks beautiful. Thanks. Also looks flammable. <laughs> okay, where are you from? Kansas. Are you really where? Yeah. Manhattan. Are you serious? I, no, I, I lived in Topeka for a couple years. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, kind of yeah. a kind of a long story, but I moved out there for a girl, which was oh. stupid because she lived in Seattle. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna dip the torches in this fuel, Nicole. I'm gonna hand you the torches, and you simply just hold them for now, okay? Torch number one. Then, Nicole, here comes torch number two. Just be very, very careful that you don't breathe in the fumes because they tend to act as a natural laxative. So that was a, that was a crappy show. Boom! Comedy jokes! These are dripping, it looks like, looks like you got a little too much fuel on these torches here. Um, fuel off. <laughs> Gotta get all this fuel off, Nicole. says, safety is my number one priority. This is my career we're talking about, Nicole, okay? All right, Nicole, do you have the lighter? All right, we're gonna play a little game called Witch Trial. Light it up! Ah, fun! Come on, they love this game in New England. Too soon? Come on over here, light these up for me. Anytime you're ready, Nicole. Come on, baby, light my fire. Totally safe. Let's just go ahead and do it. Yep, here we go, Nicole, waiting on you. Really? Yep. Ah! Nicole, thank you very much for helping me out. Appreciate it. Let's go. Back to your seat, Nicole. Back. Nick, Nick. Okay. Watch, watch that hair as you go by. There we go. Oh, thank yep. you. Can you see all right? Yeah, Nicole, you feel that? Hot flashes, giving you hot flashes. Huh? Right? Menopause is funny. And for all of you skeptics in the audience, sir, I want you to grab the other end of the stick. Make sure this is, in fact, real fire that I'm using. <laughs> Boy, that'd be pretty funny if my narcolepsy kicked in right now, wouldn't it? <laughs> Ivan, we're so happy to have you here. I want you to tell me when you were able to start making juggling more than just about juggling stuff. Well, uh, first off, Governor, I just wanna say thank you so much for having me. And uh, I really do appreciate the care package that uh, your team sent over, uh, including this official Mike Huckabee t-shirt. This is, this is the most fantastic shirt I, I've ever owned. I, I, I love this thing. Uh, they don't make it in a man size apparently, but I, I, I'm digging it still. Uh, so uh, yeah, my, my whole show is a comedy juggling variety show. Uh, I've always been very into comedy, very into public speaking. And so at a very early age, uh, I learned to kind of combine the two for a, a very unique show. You know, you have a motto making juggling tolerable. It almost sounds like being an accordion player. So tell me, what about juggling has <laughs> exactly. been intolerable up until now? <laughs> Basically, I have found the general public, their uh, misconception of juggling, it's a person just kind of standing there and throwing things and catching it. Uh, I feel people can take about, you know, 
five to six minutes of juggling before they're like, I get it. You throw and catch stuff. What else you do? So this kind of sets up the humor for the show to show that it's more than just somebody standing there, you know, throwing stuff in the air. On a serious note, uh, people like you who make a living performing in front of folks, I mean, this is devastating to uh, to your livelihood to be uh, basically shut out of every event, everything canceled, no in-person shows. How do you cope with that? And, and what will it look like in the future when we do get back to some level of normal? Uh, I've literally had every live performance of mine canceled up and uh, up until August. So uh, being self-employed, that is a, uh, it's a, it's a devastating blow. Uh, I would love to get back to uh, some kind of normalcy. I'm hoping that it goes there in the future. But in the meantime, uh, I've been exploring many, many different ways to bring my show digitally, much like we are doing right now. Uh, my, my main source of income is traveling around the country and performing for companies and obviously, when uh, convention centers are closed and conference centers, these events aren't happening live. I know you do a lot of large corporate events entertaining people. There's an anxiety that uh, corporations are probably not going to do a lot of those in the future. They'll do everything by Zoom or some other type of digital mode. Uh, how can you adapt when it comes to that kind of thing? There's actually a few different options, and uh, I've done quite a few of these. Um, like like we said, most of the time I'll go and do a corporate event, and during the day it's a weekend-long thing. They're doing seminars, they're doing breakout sessions, and they'll have me uh, in the evening as kind of like the comedic relief for entertainment purposes. Well, like you said, these aren't happening live anymore, but they are still doing these conferences over Zoom, and they are doing them on the Internet. And so how do I interject into those. Uh, you can never take away, their, their, you can't get better than live in-person performance, so we adapt. I've done shows over Zoom right here uh, in, my, in my back room. I've done uh, personalized messages. I've done bombing a Zoom meeting where they'll be in a Zoom meeting and for two minutes I'll just <laughs> pop in and uh, do a two-minute bit. I'll juggle whatever it is that the uh, corporation is pitching. Uh, I've also done a lot of uh, how-to-juggle workshops where we've taken a break and I've, te I've taught a, a large uh, amount of people how to juggle. So, Ivan, do you ever juggle dangerous stuff in your shows? And can you show us a little of it? I make a living doing this. Of course I can. Governor, I got something specifically <laughs> for you today. You are going to love this. Oh, I'm, I'm not going to juggle this. I just have this laying around. I'm going to get this out of the way. I'm going to juggle these. They're plastic. <laughs> it's so much safer and it's not against my parole. So a couple tricks for you. There we go. All right, Governor, I got some dangerous stuff I am going to show you today. I am going to juggle this bowling ball, this razor-sharp hatchet, and this raw egg. Organic. $15 this cost me. Now, at first, this trick may not look that impressive, but keep in mind, one of my arms is the prosthetic. This is actually a standard sobriety test here in California as well. It's really cracking down. Ivan, well done. I'm glad I was uh, socially distanced from you because if you'd have thrown that hatchet at me, uh, that might have been dangerous. Thanks for doing this. Now, to tell you how to see more of Ivan Purcell's fantastic juggling, maybe to have him bump in on your Zoom conference call and lighten it up, 
I'm going to throw it to Keith, and he better not drop it. Oh, I won't, Governor. You can see more of Ivan Passell's videos, book him for your venue, church, or corporate event, and keep up with his tour schedule, all at IvanPassell.com. You can also follow him on Twitter, look for at Ivan Passell, and on Facebook, follow at Ivan Passell Fans. Coming up, rock star and orphan advocate Mark Stewart and country music Sarah Evans is on Huckabee. Go to MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. Each week you're invited to go to Huckabee.tv and get virtual tickets to meet me at the couch in our virtual theater. We randomly draw someone to win some cool gifts from the show. And this week, Reverend Gordon and Sue Wells, pastors of East Bar Christian Church in East Bar, Vermont, they're our winners. Gordon and Sue, be watching your mailbox for the prize. And thanks for watching The Huckabee Show. Well, my next guest wanted to be the literal hands and feet of Christ in a country full of unemployment and economic disparity. I want you to take a look at how he followed that dream. Hey everyone, this is Mark Stewart and Will McGinnis, co-founder of the Hands and Feet Project. Fifteen years ago in the back of the Audio Adrenaline Tour Bus, the dream for the Hands and Feet Project was born. Our song, Hands and Feet, was inspiring believers all over the world to become Jesus to the people around them. We wanted to get our hands dirty as well. We were connected to Haiti because my parents had been missionaries there for years. We knew Haiti's orphan crisis was continuing to grow and God moved in our hearts to be a part of the solution. We purchased land on the southern coast of Haiti, and the journey to become His hands and feet began. Within 18 months, we had our first home. It was affectionately called the Big House, and we welcomed our first child, Tamara, a beautiful, spunky three-year-old, to the family. Junior, T. Paul, Gerland, Georgina, and Mavinsky soon joined our family, along with many other amazing boys and girls. Over 15 years, we welcomed more children, more staff, and even additional campuses. As our family grew, so did our desire to provide the very best care possible. We built a passionate team of caregivers, including house moms, pastors, tutors, social workers, counselors, doctors, dentists, and so many more, giving each child the best opportunity to reach their God-given potential. We call that our circle of care. You see, God is in the business of doing more. He took one small dream from the back of a tour bus and did exceedingly more than we could ever imagine. From lead singer of Audio Adrenaline to co-founder of the Hands and Feet Project, Mark Stewart has become an advocate for orphans in Haiti. And that's what makes him our Huck's hero this week. Mark, we're so glad to have you. You, you have a book called Losing My Voice. How did you somehow let your past make it so that you found your purpose? You know, I went through a lot of heartache. I lost my band. I lost my voice uh, from an incurable vocal disorder. I went through a 
uh, divorced, lost my marriage, and uh, I kind of found myself at rock bottom. And then I'm, I was really felt abandoned by God, uh, like a lot of people today going through a lot of stuff. But when I started to reach out and serve other people, my parents were missionaries in Haiti. I was going there really to escape kind of the, the stigma of being kind of a, a broken person. Um, but there amongst Haiti's, the poorest of the poor, amongst what some people would say the least of these, I found my most significant connection to Jesus. and. God started to turn my life around. What have you been able to do that, that helps people long-term in Haiti? You know, we've been in Haiti for years. My parents moved to Haiti in the 1980s, so we were a part of uh, different presidencies. We went through coups together. Uh, we went through the earthquake. I was in the earthquake with my parents, my wife in Haiti when it happened, and Jack Mel, we've seen it all. Mm. And the one thing that, that we've, uh, we've seen that's the most important is a sustainable job. Um, it, it's the broken part of Haiti that keeps family tearing families apart. Um, you know, they uh, Haitian moms want their families to stay together, but they're left with this uh, unanswerable, this hopeful dilemma of I have to give away my child for this child to survive, and that creates systemic brokenness and hopelessness. And that's really what tears Haiti apart: is poverty. Um, and, and if we can, and you know, I've been a part of different organizations that give to Haiti, that that feed people, that provide housing. But the very the very best thing we can do is work to provide uh, sustainable jobs, especially for mothers in Haiti. Mark, talk to us about exactly how Hands and Feet Project, how that works. What does it do for Haiti and the people there? Sure. Well, we, we started the Hands and Feet Project in 2004, so we've been doing this for a long time. And we went into it as we were as Christian rock guys. You know, we didn't know a lot about, um, you know, serving in a different world. We didn't know a lot about the orphan uh, care crisis and how to best do that. But over the years, the organizations that really helped us, like CAFO, the Christian Alliance uh, for Orphans, we were able to figure out best practices. And we really focus on three things. And that's uh, fighting for families to stay together. We, we identify moms that are in crisis. We walk with them and we provide them with a job. We provide them with the necessary things uh, to, to encourage them to keep their children together. The other thing that we do is we uh, preserve, uh, we, we reunify families. So if a family, if a mom does give up her child to social services or um, a social in Haiti and they end up with us, we immediately start to reunify those kids if it's possible. And it's the best case scenario with those moms in crisis. And it takes a lot of work from social workers, psychologists, just to heal wounds and bring families together. And lastly, if a, if a mom and a dad does pass away or they're incarcerated or they end up in a place where they just don't want or can't care for a child at all emotionally, uh, spiritually, physically, then we provide a family for that child. We build children's villages and we build a family around each child, basically a foster village um, where that family can get the very best uh, chance of being raised up in a family. They know the support system, they know people care for them, they get the best education. And hopefully that orphan crisis uh, generationally will come to an end. That's what we're fighting against. Mark, I know you've got several initiatives through the Hands and Feet Project. One of them is called ICONDO. 
Tell us how this yeah. initiative is different than other mission trips churches take all the time. Yeah, Ikondo is really um, one of our, my passion projects is, is about job creation. So many people go on mission trips, short-term mission trips. The churches, I've been involved in short-term mission trips for about 30 years. And at the end of the week, um, you, you've made a difference. You've built a house or you've painted a house, but you haven't really uh, answered any long-term sustainability questions in terms of e economy or making a change in the economy. So Ikondo is, this con is a new concept that says, hey, we want you to come to Haiti, but we want Haitians to be able to serve you as you serve them. That way we create an equitable exchange between these two cultures. In the past, it's been, hey, we're going to come and be the heroes. We're going to come and serve you. And you really have nothing to offer us except you make us feel good in the fact that we get to serve you. But at Econdo, we, we kind of balance that out where Haitians are going to serve you. And they we've created hospitality jobs, uh, our leadership there. When we um, They're leading you in the way that you can serve and building homes for people, reaching out. And then also when it's time for worship, it's not Americans or people leading Haitians in worship. It's Haitians leading Americans worship. So we kind of flip the script and make the mission trip more about empowering the Haitian people rather than taking dignity away from them. That's a beautiful idea. And we're so proud right. to uh, be able to name you our Hawks hero for the great work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Mark. Now to Keith Bilbrey, Thanks. why don't you tell the people how to order a copy of Mark's book and get involved with the Hands and Feet Project. Well, look for Mark's book anywhere books are sold. And to find more information about the Hands and Feet Project, visit handsandfeetproject.org. Still to come, country music star Sarah Evans on tonight's Huckabee. Watch the full show or your favorite segment anytime you like. It's on demand at Huckabee.tv. Welcome back. My next guest is an award-winning country music singer. Sarah Evans has charted multiple number one hit songs, including Suds in the Bucket, A Real Fine Place to Start, and one of my favorites, Born to Fly. She's got a brand new album. It's called Copy That. It's a collection of songs made famous by the biggest stars in music. Each of the album's cuts are soundtrack songs of Sarah's life. Now, I gotta be honest with you, I have loved her music, and frankly, one of my bucket list items was to meet Sarah Evans and to play music with her. Since we're still practicing our social distancing, my bucket's only half full, but all the more reason to invite her to be back again. We welcome the wonderful Sarah Evans. Sarah, thanks for joining us and talking about this brand new album, Copy That. Thank you so much. That was an amazing introduction and so sweet. Thank you. This uh, new album is 13 songs that you've put together spanning six decades of music, songs like the Bee Gees, If I Can't Have You, Poco's Crazy Love, and the Knack's my Sharona. Now, I, I want to find out how you narrowed the list to these particular 13 songs. I've been waiting my whole career for a covers record. All of my albums have a covers 
song on them. Um, all, all of our encores are cover tunes. So it was very, very hard to narrow them down. Um, I'm, I've got a big family group text going because my brother is my bass player. My sister sings harmony. My kids are musicians. My husband, my manager, all this. And so we just started texting each other song ideas. Um, some I knew for sure, like I would have to have a Patsy Klein. I would have to have a Hank Williams. Um, but then the rest are just ones that, like Crazy Love was a, a request of my brother. It's like, why don't you do that? It's one of my favorite songs. So at some point, my producer, Jared Kay, and I just had to say, okay, these are the songs we have to stop because we would never have gotten in the studio. I mean, we, there were just too many options, but it was so much fun. And I'm so incredibly proud of this project that I'll probably make a copy of that volume too. One of the songs is uh, a duet you do with Little Big Town's Philip Sweet, the song, Whenever I Called You Friend. Now, Sarah, that song was a hit when you were a little kid done by Kenny Loggins and Stevie Nicks. So how did that mm -hmm. song influence you uh, since it was, you know, a song when you were so small and young? You know, I've always been a, like, huge Stevie Nicks fan, and my voice is kind of like her. Like, I have a really fast vibrato. We just kind of, you know, sing similarly. So I've always covered Fleetwood Mac songs, um, and I've always wanted to do this as a duet at some point. So this is a song that I've had in my head for years. And, you know, we, we couldn't really decide, like, who would be cool to sing on it? Who has the right voice? And my producer had just recently written a song with Philip Sweet, and he said, you know, this guy is an amazing singer. Because, um, you know, when people are in bands, you don't really know the individual people that well. And so he said, I really think Philip would be great. We called him. He came in. He's the sweetest man. His name suits him perfectly. One of the things I think is going to be really interesting to a lot of your fans, and that would include anyone who loves great music, your daughters actually participated in the recording with you on the album. So what songs uh, do, do your daughters join with you? And how does how that feel to have your daughters with you on the album? Um, it's amazing. So my son, Avery, actually plays almost all the guitar parts on the record. So um, and oh, he's wow. been playing guitar for me for the last few years in my band. Um, my daughter, Olivia, is an inspiring singer. She's an amazing vocalist. And so... She, you know, and all the kids were in the studio with me pretty much every day, the whole time. So she did all the, anytime I needed harmony, she and I would just jump in the booth and put the harmonies on. And she does a, a big step out part on the John Mayer song, All We Ever Do Is Say Goodbye. Um, and then my daughter, Audrey, who's 15, is just starting to get into music. She's always been a dancer primarily, um, but she... She also put harmonies on. So all three of my kids, you know, they had to work. They have to work for it, you know? Well, in just a moment, Sarah Evans is going to be singing a song from Copy That, her brand new album. But first, Keith Bilbrey will tell you how you can get more of Sarah Evans and her music. And believe me, you're going to want to download it and have it to listen to again and again. Well, you can get your copy of Sarah Evans' Copy That everywhere music is sold. You can also go to sarahevans.com and learn more about her music and upcoming memoir, Born to Fly. 
Up next, Sarah Evans performs a classic hit with a fresh take from her Copy That album. And later, a closing thought from Mike on Huckabee. If you're ready to laugh at the news that's too funny but true, watch In Case You Missed It on Huckabee.tv. Well, at the end of the show, Mike has a personal thought to share. But first, back in 1979, a band named Poco had a huge hit with Crazy Love. And now, here to sing her tribute of it, backed by Trey Corley and the Music City Connection with Mike on bass, is Sarah Evans. Tonight I'm gonna break away Just you wait and see I'll never be
Well, everyone has been impacted by the shutdown due to the threat of the Wuhan coronavirus. But some among us are missing irreplaceable moments and memories that can never be recovered. The graduating class of 2020 will not be able to reminisce about their graduation ceremony, their prom, or their senior trip, or even the celebration of their last day of class. A young high school senior, Shane Brees, wrote a touching and powerful song that articulates the disappointment and lost moments. There is no do-over. The long-awaited and anticipated events simply got canceled and forgotten, but not by those who lost them. Shane Brees is a student at Merrill Hyde Magnet School in Hendersonville, Tennessee. That's where our theater is located, just outside of Nashville. That school has been ranked number three in the nation and number one in Tennessee for academics. I want you to watch a short clip of Shane Brees' beautifully crafted song. They promised a piece of paper and acceptance speech, but don't speak for too long. Nobody wants you to preach. Remember to smile wide and show your teeth. Don't let them all know you're scared it's out of your reach. Cause it's fake until you make it. Feel your world shaking. Every breath in quiet is not a breath taken. So don your mask and read your lines, even though the light you waited for refuses to shine. I'm waiting for the big reveal, but the curtains aren't opening. And this ending seems so unreal. I'm the only one on the edge of my seat. I'm just scared I'll never get a finale. What a great, great song by Shane Brees. Now, a side note, both of Shane's parents are part of the crew who put this show together. But even if they weren't, Shane reminds us not to forget those young people whose lives are mostly ahead of them. And let's not forget what they've given up, maybe just to keep their grandparents safer. But they have paid a price, and they deserve our recognition and our respect. Well, that's it for us tonight. Thanks for joining us. Remember next week, some of us are gonna be back in our theater and I can't wait. Now we won't have our studio audience back quite yet. And we're gonna model social distancing and careful behavior, but we're gonna be excited to bring you the Huckabee Show next and every week. Good night and God bless. <laughs>